All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 14th of October, and I know you've been waiting for this one. That makes it solder smoke what number? 200! 200! 200! You kidding? We've done 200 of these things? Yeah. Oh my God. You, is... You've done 200. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know. It's a team effort here. So Team, yeah, team yeah. Solder Smoke has reached yeah, the bicentenary yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, what a deal. <laughs> I got I to laugh. I got this guy, Anthony Bourdain, on TV. He talks about oh, his, yeah. he's in his 10th season. He says, can you imagine I lasted 10 seasons? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. It, his answer was he drinks a lot. <laughs> yeah, he said, drinks heavily. I guess we have to attribute it to coffee. I've got the coffee yeah, pot going. Yeah, right. All right, um, let's see. Hold on. I printed out some stuff here. Wait a second. Where did my printout go? How you been doing? Good. good. Yeah? You've been, yeah you, you've been active on the, you've been, uh, been on the radio? You've been melting solder? I've been melting solder, but not too much on the radio. But, uh, boy, talk about things being active. You know the fires in Northern California? Uh, I, I thought about you, yeah. I actually lived in Santa Rosa. Wow. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact... Uh, we lived uh, in a little town called Windsor, which is just a few miles north of Santa Rosa. And we lived in a private community. And uh, <clears throat> this happened over Labor Day. We had our own private water system, and the pump broke. And everybody got worried about fire because our fire hydrants <laughs> didn't work. Oh, man. And, and, if, if we had, and we had all this, uh, you know, burnt brown grass around us. If anything caught on, we had a fire watch. We had people volunteered through the night because you couldn't get anybody to come out there to fix the pump on Labor Day. Holy so, God. I mean, I mean, I was really – everything's wood. They're all wood houses, you know, cedar. What a, what a mess. Oh. And, then the, and the mess over in Puerto Rico, really, oh. wow. That I, I am, something. I, I'm kind of disappointed at what's transpiring. I think the, the mayor of San Juan is just asking for some help and – it's right. being viewed as a as being viewed as criticism. Don't yeah. <laughs> fix it. Well, the ham radio guys they, they have actually yeah. come to the fore, and it's been it's been been really something. I, I put a link up on National Public Radio. They did a piece on ham radio that was really yeah. positive, and it was very good. The guy who spoke was very kind of self-deprecating. He kind of acknowledged our, our nerdy reputation, and uh, but he talked about how, how gratifying it was to to actually provide the news that people stateside have been waiting for you know that, that their relatives right. were okay and that, that a message that couldn't be delivered it's amazing you think about it in this day and age with all the telecommunication stuff we have that cat five hurricane went across that island and man it knocked everything out and so now yeah. now they, it is it is down to ham radio as the the only way to get the message out but uh, three cheers for the guys who have been helping out you know one of the guys that's been very involved with that's our friend ben uh, you told me that's great what is yeah. that to uh, well, he got contacted by the uh, by Puerto Rico to help him set up uh, some ham radio backbones. Wow! Because he's he's involved with the ARL section out out here in the West Coast. We're talking about Ben, uh, formerly KK6FUT. He and I have collaborated on quite a few articles for QRP Quarterly. He's now AI6YR, and he was mentioned in the ARRL bulletin as uh, being involved with setting up some of these things. So, I mean. I, I sent him an email and said, hey, what's going on? He said, it's terrible. He said, they have no communications. Yeah, uh, I know. It's, it's, it's a real mess. That's a, that was a heck of a storm. Uh, we'll just wish them all a lot of luck and three cheers for yep. all the hams are helping out. Yep. Okay. So you have you, well, okay, let's let's talk a little bit. I, I've been on the air. I've been yeah. Back, back on 17 meters. 
Ooh. It's weird. It's a seasonal thing. Somebody was explaining to me that this time of the fall, uh, even under poor band conditions, you're more likely to get openings on bands like 17. I had really, hadn't really been aware of the seasonal kind of thing, but I noticed a couple of days there. Last weekend was particularly good where the, the solar flux index was up. The A index, K index looked about right. So I figured I'd give it a try. Fired up on 17 with the Bidex 17, and man, it was like it was great. It was it was almost like old home week because when I was yeah. out there in the Azores on 17 meters from my main band, I was one F, zone, F F layer skip into Europe, and it was great. I made all kinds of friends there. And so this this last weekend, I get on, and I hear sometimes you know how it is when I'm sure you have the same thing. Sometimes you recognize the guy's voice before his yeah. call sign. Here comes Texas. That's the guy I'm going to mention. He's on my list here. Yeah. But uh, I get on 17. The first guy, the first voice I recognize is Rolf, DL3AO. And Rolf was a regular contact of mine. Fascinating fella. Volcanologist. Studies uh, with a PhD. Studied volcanoes all of his life. So he had been out to the Azores when I was there. He'd climbed Mount Etna. Really interesting fellow. And a ham radio story that goes back all the way back into World War II in Germany as a young fella, and then into the and he lived in the American occupation zone. And then Hams, who were in the occupying force, got him started, and he got started with American surplus gear. And he's he's written some really great stuff on his uh, QRZ page. I'm going to share the share it with everybody. But really uh, touching stories about you know getting started with ham radio and kind of the rebirth of the country after the war and his personal you know, uh, and gratitude for the Elmers that he had. Great, great stuff. And you see, wow, homebrew rigs. And, and you know, it, it was a tough time, but it led to a lot of really great creativity. So I was really glad to talk to Rolf. And then here comes Texas. Yeah. Sitting around. And August. I hear August. August. Yeah. August yeah. is a great guy because oh, he's yeah. got, first of all, he's got a great name and he's got a great location. It's August in Odessa. August in Odessa, and his call sign, K5HCT, here comes Texas, right? But his voice is unmistakable. So I heard him on. You know, I've got contacts with, with August going back to when I was in the Dominican Republic, way back. And um, so we, we caught up, then, and, that, and that was great fun. And then, I, then I ran into to Cyril in South Yorkshire, G0EPU, another very distinctive the South Yorkshire voice would come on 17, talk to Cyril quite a bit. And then finally, uh, a fellow that I've talked to before, but not, not, not really in the old timer category, but DL1YC, Jan, and he built, we, 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 I, I've joked about this on the blog, we had a, a Moxon to Moxon contact on 17. There you go, yeah. And he had a homebrew Moxon over there in, uh, in Germany, and I had, of course, my homebrew Moxon. And we were comparing notes, looking at the pictures of our antennas on the on the screen. His is flat, and I was envious of his flat moxen, because mine has got the the blown out umbrella, you know, kind of hex beam kind of look. But his is very cool and flat. So we talked about that. But uh, but great stuff, and it's good to get on. It's good to get on a different band. Good stuff, yeah. Pete. You know, uh, August uh, is on um, 60 meters as well. I've heard him on 60 meters. As a matter of fact, uh, when I built the 60 meter rig and I was mentioning on one of the earlier podcasts that I heard the band open like like at night, you know, 7, 8 o'clock at night. 
that was the station. I heard August. I mean, as soon as I tuned, tuned on the channel, I said, I don't know who that is. That's <laughs> you know, it. It's August. Your voice. Yeah, it's August. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Well, I'm glad you heard him on six. That's another incentive for me to get a decent 60 meter antenna up there. Yeah. Yeah. August has got the knack. All these guys have the knack. And speaking oh, yeah. of the knack, big knack news came out uh, with the Nobel Prize for Physics. I put a, a story up about this. I don't know if you caught it, but. You know, they had the, the group that got that got the, the Nobel Prize this year for physics was the, the guys who built the LIGO detector. This is the detector to pick up gravitational waves. And when I, I remember reading about this and seeing videos about the whole thing, the, the construction of the detector to detect these very, very faint waves that never been picked up by anybody. They're not radio waves. They're, they're gravitational waves, but they travel at the speed of light. They come from really far away. They're really weak and hard to detect. And I'm thinking, gosh, there's, it's, it's so, so similar to what we do, you know, in radio. And I said, and one of these guys has to have had or has now, well, you can't get rid of it, but he has the knack. And I started digging into a little of their bios. And sure enough, there he is, Rainer Weiss, definitely got the knack. His bio talks about, and this is another story that goes back into World War II. Um, he, he talked about listening to Neville Chamberlain's speech while the family was running away from Hitler. At the point, at that point, I think they were in Prague. And Czechoslovakia, yeah. Yeah, and what, what, what he remembered of the whole thing was looking into the radio and seeing the glowing tubes. He wasn't so much focused on the speech. He was focused on the oh, thermotrons. So anyway, you know, a tough, really tough uh, immigrant story. They had to escape. They were refugees. They ended up in New York and they discovered that he could fix radios. Again, re reminiscent of Richard Feynman. Very, very similar story. And to get to get along or I guess to survive with the local street gangs in New York, he let it be known that he would fix the radios that they brought to him. They didn't beat him up. <laughs> they but they were all stolen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he, he, he was sort of like, you know, radio repairman for the street gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said there were some disadvantages, but it kept him out of trouble. But that, I, I found a picture of him, too, sitting at the workbench there with clippers and wires and solder, soldering iron. I said, man, that another Nobel Prize for physics with someone clearly who has the knack. That makes three, for, as far as I can think of, just off the top of my head. We mentioned, mentioned Feynman. Feynman, oh, definitely. Uh, Joe Taylor, yeah. K1JT, and now Rainer Weiss. We don't think, I don't know if he has a call, so I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't see any evidence of that, but definitely the knack in terms of fixing radios. By the way, before we forget, Massimo Bonsi, Mr. Arduino, at a young age was a ham. I, I know. Yeah, yes. So, I mean, hey, you know, this stuff carries over. That's it. Yeah. Speak, speaking of people who've been geniuses since their young age, I want to mention our our friend Hans Summers, G0UPL, over there in, in, in London, in the old smoke. Hans is has long been one of the real innovators, the real creative forces in ham radio. I mean, you look at his site. Every time I look at his site, I think of three. I find three or four projects that I hadn't seen before and that I want to do. I want to send up one of these um, balloons, the party balloons, with one of his little uh, whisper transceivers on it. That's on my to-do list. But recently, he came out with something, and I started hearing it. There was a buzz. It actually created a buzz, as much of a buzz that you can create in our circles. But 
there was a buzz about the new transceiver that his company, QRP Labs, is marketing now. It's called the QCX, and it is amazing looking. It's and it, it's a CW transceiver with all kinds of features built in. It's got all of your beloved IC chips in there, all kinds of software. It's a very sophisticated design. It's not like the Tuna Tin 2 and the Herring 85. No, no, it's got... It's got some real serious com computing power at the base of it. So, I mean, you've got keyers, you've got Morse code readers in the thing. It's small. It looks to me like it's about, what, three inches by four inches, like palm of your hand size. Altoid 10 size. And here's the price. You know, the, they don't say price anymore. Now, the cool way of saying it is the price point, which for me, it's the price, right? But anyway, the price of this thing is... He's selling it for 49 bucks US, which is remarkably similar to the price for a BitX40 module. So what, what the message of this is, and I, you know, I know Hans and Farhan are, are friends, but I think this is purely coincidental that the price came out this way. But, you know, 49 bucks is the new 10 grand, you know, yeah. when you yeah. think about it. And, and you know, the, the guys who are out there who think that you have to spend, you know, many kilobucks to get a decent rig, Farhan and Hans are proving them wrong because could you imagine the capability that you would have as a, as a new radio amateur if you spent, you know, 50 bucks or so for the BitX40 module and then 50 bucks or so for the QCX transceiver? I mean, that's phenomenal. And so for 100 bucks, you would, you would have what, you know, so much such a high percentage of the capability of the much more expensive radios. Plus, you probably have a whole lot more fun with it. Man. So I, I think um, three cheers for Hans Summers. And right. The QCX. Absolutely. You know, he's quite got quite an array of products uh, on his site, and it's worth taking a look at. Maybe you can put a link on your blog. Uh, I have it up there. The show. No, it's after up there. The show. Yeah. On so the show, too, on the show notes. But if you scroll down a little bit, yeah. I've got a couple articles about Hans's QCX. So, so check that out. I think it's, you know, it's a waiting list. Yeah. It's well, a, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. At, the, at the price point, yeah, why not? <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, I, I, I want to follow that on with a, with a little bit of a comment here because it ties together. Um, <clears throat> maybe, uh, I, I don't know, I, I sort of have negative views when I, when I read certain things, but I read something out of the ARRL that was uh, documenting the IARU conference here recently. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were chatting uh, that uh, the, the, the principal speaker saying, well, you know, uh, we're, we're not seeing a growth in ham radio and uh, we're not attracting the young people. And, uh, you know, hams are hams for two reasons, contests and operating. And, of course, <laughs> the hair in the back of my neck <laughs> went up a little Ooh. bit. <laughs> oh. I can <laughs> feel the nerve in my teeth getting hit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying, you know, when you have that attitude, you're, you're getting focused on a, on a segment of the population. But there's a lot of people like you and I that love building stuff. And, and you have people like Hans who, who are building stuff and, and making it available at a price that is that is pretty reasonable. I mean, you know, you go to McDonald's with a family of four, you're going to spend fifty bucks, or you yeah. can buy a QCX. You right. know, <laughs> the <laughs> the other thing is I want to tag onto that is some exciting things that are happening worldwide, and you you know, uh, uh, old Charlie ZL2 CTM down oh, there definitely in New is. Zealand, and and he's been working on uh, SDR transceivers 
using some readily available parts. It's all self-contained. You don't need a computer. And and the only reason I highlight this is well, there's a lot going on in shacks, and someone's going to take that, and they're going to produce a $50 <laughs> SDR transceiver. That's right. It's, it's, it's coming. It's coming. No, yeah, and it's going to be, and it, it could could easily be, you know, with the manufacture taking place in Indonesia or China, and it's going to come yeah. back, and it's yeah. and it's going to yeah. be a global I thing. Mean, it's going to be. You mean you 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 visit uh, YouTube and see Charlie's videos? It's amazing. I mean, uh, you look at really the, there, there's there's hardly any parts there, and and the software is not you know you you don't have to know Linux. I mean, it's it's programmed with Arduino. It's programmed using an Arduino sketch. So I mean, this is an amazing time, and I think that uh, a failure to understand this. And I have another view too. Is I think uh, one of the things we could do to get the young people involved, we need to get Baron Trump a ticket. <laughs> you know that, that poor kid at the White House. What's he do? I mean, he's got a bowling alley in a swimming pool. But wouldn't it be cool to see a three-element being on the top of the White House? <laughs> I mean, that's a great idea. You know, you know he, he is technically oriented. They say yeah, he's a computer. So yeah. 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 Well, Go for it, Pete. Make it a make it your project. <laughs> let's think about Herbert Hoover Jr., whose dad was president. Herbert Hoover Jr., uh, a, a giant in the ham radio world. He was president of the ARL. All right. So I mean, here's here's a guy. So what they used to call him the Hoover Bands. I mean, a lot of the things that <laughs> happened in ham radio was because dad was president. So maybe we uh, maybe we need to do that. Planted a seed out there. Good, very good. Hey, spe speaking of new bands. Yes. We've got two new ones. Yes. And I know you're quite active on this. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, m many of our uh, listeners might not be aware of the new territory that has opened up to radio amateurs. And I don't think this these will be contest or appliance operation bands either. I don't think Yesu is going to be rolling out some megabuck rig for our new 630-meter and 2,200-meter band. You know, you could yeah. say 2,200 meters, because I know it would be more like, you know, but, but yeah. I think it's more, more realistic to say the 2,200 meter band. Well, you know, you only have to have about eight miles of land to build a dipole. Well, and I, I, I don't know if you noticed it, but I announced on the uh, on the blog that yeah. you were on it. You were on, yeah. the, you were on this, and, and I, I announced um, that Pete is going to be building and has under construction a six-element quad for the new 2,200 meter band. I also said that we'd probably need Google Earth to uh, to get a picture of it because yeah. it's, it's of such a large scale. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the thing that's interesting about that. Did you see how you can how you have to operate on that? You have to send a letter to some bureau in the government saying, "Hey, I intend to operate in this," and if you don't hear back in thirty days, you can go ahead and operate. We're good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sounds a little strange to me. A quirky. <laughs> quirky, well, yes. Yeah. But the thing that got me about it is the 630-meter band. Yeah. Remarkably close in frequency to the 455 KCIF, right? Yeah, yeah. So does this, I'm wondering, does this present the opportunity for us to drag out some of our old 455 KCIF rigs? And, you know, just cut out all the, the top-level sure. mixer and everything else and just go for it. Yeah. I don't know. It seems, seems, like, seems like fun. But um, also I wanted to mention, uh, when I saw 630 meters, this is completely unscientific. This is just completely just, just my kind of quirkiness. I was immediately suspicious. 
because I am suspicious of all bands that have the letter, the number six in them. Oh, yes. That's right. You see? Six uh, meters. 60. 60 meters, which with its weirdness. Oh, wait a minute. We got, we got orders of 10. Six right. to 60 is 10. And then <laughs> 60, 630 is 10. Don't get me started on 666. Oh, uh, oh my God. Oh. Anyway, I, I'm sure... There's nothing wrong with 630 meters. However, it probably would be a bit dangerous to fire up a regen on 630 meters. That would be just too much do you know bad the, juju in there. You know? Do you know the reason why they authorized the bands? I mean, other than experimentation? I think was, somebody told me that like on 630 meters, they used to be kind of maritime watch frequencies or something. Mm -hmm. And they're no longer used for that purpose. And these, it's, it's kind of tied in with the loafer movement. People like the low-frequency experimentation. Oh, yeah. So it was that way. And I think also other countries have had it for quite a while. I know the Canadians have had it for a while, I think. So I think we're just, we're just playing well, catch-up. Well, the, the, the one that would be really nice is four and a half meters. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. In the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so that, yeah. I mean, I could see some real rationale for the four and a half meters, but and then taking back the uh, the Frank Jones five meter band, yeah, taking yeah. it back from all those baby monitors, yeah, the the, yeah. the, the, the FMLA, the five meter Liberation Army, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got it. A lot, of, a lot of frequency expansion possibilities here. Hey, I, I I threw out a bit of a challenge there to the to the to the amateur, amateur radio QRP community because we know we have to talk about QRP, Pete. You and I both. We're obligated. We have contractual well, you obligations. Do, you, do, you do. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I, I spotted something on Hackaday, and I love I love looking at Hackaday. The vast majority of the stuff on Hackaday is beyond me, and it's just it's it's really cool. I can tell it's cool, but it's it's beyond me. But it's it's very digital. But every once in a while, there's something in there that wow, it's really cool. And some guy has built what he calls the nuclear battery. Right. Have you seen this? He takes these kind of tritium things that are used for illumination. I think they're illumination like on gun sites or something. I'm not sure. But they're emitting kind of atomic particles. And then what he does is he puts them on top of kind of photovoltaic cells. So it's the instead of light activating the photovoltaic cell, it's the emission from the tritium tubes, these little tubes, they look like they're about, I don't know, an inch or inch and a half long. And he makes a little stack and this little sandwich develops enough juice to, I think, power uh, a QRP transceiver. And so I said, hey, be the first one on the block to get on the air. You know, we've had, we've had guys running it, you know, with a lemon and two nails stuck in there and all kinds of crazy things. I mean, new tritium powered nuclear propelled QRP, that would be something to write the spread about. So I don't know. I, I, this, the, the post is there. I think a lot of guys may have been deterred because they thought this was another one of our schemes. <laughs> April, four, <laughs> April has passed. No, and it's, we're not even getting close yet, guys. Yeah, but this, yeah. this is for real. Yeah. Check it out. You'll see it's, it's somewhere in the last month on the, on the blog. But I, I think there's possibilities there. Hey, Speaking about other frequencies, we got another thing. I want to say to you three letters and get your reaction, Pete. UHF. Reaction? UHF, ultra high frequency. Yeah. I know. Do you have a positive reaction? Uh, are you averse? Are you frightened? Does it give you the willies? 
well, when I think of UHF, I think the bale fangs. I got one sitting here. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's rapidly becoming a paperweight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but okay. Um, I say UHF because um, we had a, a you know a silent key event here this this last month or so. A, yeah. A well-known radio amateur, well-known in GQRP, uh, GM3OXX passed away, and his his friend David GM4JJJ sent me a couple of really nice emails about. OMOXX and his, his his radio activities, and I, I had always associated him with HFQRP because I read a lot of his stuff over the years in the Wonder, in Sprat, the Wonder, all yeah. kinds of other rigs. Yeah, I've yeah. built a number of his rigs, but David points out that he got his start really in UHF up at 10 gigahertz. You know, going around with dishes and going mountaintop to mountaintop, and that sounded it got me thinking. I, every once in a while, I feel these kind of UHF uh, temptations coming over me. But then I usually take a deep breath and allow them to pass because I realize that all my test gear stops kind of at 100 megahertz, right? And it's hard. It's, it's, it's a whole different world. It's, I, you know, I'm barely, barely kind of mastering Manhattan-style construction, and this is a whole different world with a much higher skill level involved. But it is intriguing. And uh, anyway, I, one of our... Um, uh, one of our friends has been intrigued because I understand that coincidentally with what we saw with uh, the articles about GM3OXX, uh, our friend Farhan is going all UHF on us. I'm not, he's not abandoning HF, but he's he is building circuits and, and he's involved in some real interesting discussions with Allison and others on the EMRFD list about how to get things going up there around 435 megahertz. Homebrew, 435 megahertz. Ooh. That's that's an elite club. Yeah, yeah. That's where you need a CNC machine. <laughs> Strip mine <laughs> yeah. construction. There you go. <laughs> you probably also need kind of a a full time private line right into Allison's shack for yeah. advice and guidance because she's yeah. she's she's the guru on this stuff. So anyway, good luck to Farhan. And then who knows? This might lead to the you know Bidex four thirty five or something yeah. like that megahertz. Well. You know, I guess the thing that's interesting is uh, there's some possibilities, and I, I could see uh, I could see UHF in 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 India uh, being a local thing. I mean, the antennas are small. Yeah. You know, and, and you can have a high gain antenna that's a, a very small size. So yeah, I could see that. I mean, that, real estate may be an issue. I mean, it's so it's such a populous country. Yeah, it's, but it's also if you're a you know if you're a rag chewer and stuff. I mean. I mean, HF, yeah. HF has its downside, you know, and, you, and you, you could you could sort of just screen out the some of the nuttiness that you hear on the HF bands, yeah. and and also with with you know with, with, some guys just don't like the, the the high variability of band conditions. I like it; it gives it adds kind of an element of chance to it that you know you and I have grown up with this stuff. But some of the, I think some of the the new amateurs, one of the things there's there's things that they they really don't like that don't bother us at all because we've been in it so long. One of the things they don't like is noise. When they turn on the radio and they hear static, they, they associate static with some sort of problem. Something is broken. Static is coming out of my radio. And, and you and I hear it, and it's like, yeah, it's the band noise. It's some thunderstorm yeah. in Brazil, or it's yeah. you know, yeah. the Andromeda working. Galaxy it's, acting it's, up again. It's, it's working. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right. They also don't like like any any noises that are not supposed to be there, like the, the thump, the push-to-talk thump on some of the simpler, like BitX40. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that the thing is working that I'm willing to overlook, for years on end, things like the PTT thump. 
Remember the days on 20 meters with the woodpecker, the over the horizon oh, yeah, radar? I know, I know. You get used to that. <laughs> I would have driven you, them nuts. You, you get used to the thump. Oh, yeah. And I think the other thing that they don't like is the fact that on some days the band is open and on some days it's not. You know, because if you've grown up in, you know, kind of digital cell phone, internet land, it's supposed to always seven. be working, 24/7, right? 24-7, 24-7. So UHF, for a variety of reasons, UHF might be useful for to address this new element of the the audience hey but that that that, that's a good point to go back in history and lately the feature that we've had here on the solder smoke podcast is a reading on radio history from our beloved electric radio magazine and i happened to pick up one the other day and it's the december 2006 issue number 211 there's an article in there by k7ak robert e grinder of paradise valley arizona uh, milestones in the history of amateur radio, Reginald Fessenden's radio broadcast, a centennial commemoration. So this is 100 years since the, um, um, no, 200, 100 years, 100 years from the, uh, from the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the famous day, 100 years, 200 years, how could it be? Uh, but anyway, let me just read you the paragraph that got me. It says here. Imagine yourself as a shipboard radio operator of the U.S. Navy or the United Fruit Company in late December 1906. It's going way back, Pete. You are on a vessel plying among ports on the Atlantic coast and the Caribbean Sea. Within the past year or two, your venerable coherer has been supplanted by a new receiver that enables you to actually listen to signals with your headphones. Now the humdrum of your daily routine is interrupted unexpectedly. You are invited to listen on Christmas Eve for a program of speeches, music, and singing. Perhaps you are puzzled. No such event has ever occurred before. You alert your shipmates. You anticipate the improbable. Promptly promptly at 9 p.m. on December 24, 1906, you receive from a powerful land station a general call. CQ, 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 sent out in dots and dashes. Immediately afterwards, Reginald Aubrey Fessenden, the inventor, the inventor of your new receiver, I didn't know that, introduces the first wireless broadcast using, incredibly, a microphone. Hey, hey, go phone. An assistant then turns on an Edison phonograph and a solo voice sings Handel's Largo. Fessenden expects another assistant to follow with a few comments, but Mike Fright overcomes him. So in the very first <laughs> use, somebody got Mike shy. So Fessenden grabs his violin, and you hear him play and sing, Oh, Holy Night. Next, his wife and his secretary read together from the Bible text, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men of goodwill. But they, too, partially suffer Mike Fright, as they face the microphone. Fessenden concludes the program by wishing his listeners a Merry Christmas. Wow. If you really had been on board one of those ships on Christmas Eve 1906, surely your instantaneous exhilaration would have been indescribable. The uncanny moment would be the most surreal of your life. If you're a radio guy, that's it. If it's all yeah. just buzzing and popping and all of a sudden some dude's singing and playing the violin wow that's 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 a big technological leap forward oh yeah three cheers from reginald fessenden yeah i mean we'll have to call him the father of phone yeah there you go and he's got a special place 
in the Solder Smoke Pantheon of Heroes? Well, he'd never be a member of the QRP ARCI Hall of Fame. You're going to get yourself expelled. You're going to get yourself expelled, Juliana. I don't care. I don't care. Um, no, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't he care. There's no way around. He was a fun guy. He was a fun yeah. guy. All right. So anyway, three cheers for Reginald Fessenden. We have to get a picture of him and put it up here somewhere. He's got the look, too. He's got the knack, the father of foam. All right. Now we got to move on to more technical But I got topics. a question. If they, were, if they were copying CW, how did they do that on the CW transier? It's got a BFO in it. If it's a vacuum tube <laughs> thing, I'm just, I'm just wondering now. Had the uh, tube well, I mean, it was the detector. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing was that the coherer, you weren't really, you weren't really listening to the to radio. It was just that the, the power of the CW signal was causing the yeah. thing to click. Yeah, yeah. So they got a new detector in there. It must have, I must have been some sort of diode detector. I'm guessing, right? So, and and he got on with AM, no doubt. I saw a diagram of the of the rig that he was using. This article had a diagram here. I just through. think of the technical aspect. How do you no, do that? No, it was just they, they just had an alternator uh, okay. operating at the operating frequency, so it was spinning fast enough to generate the the signals, um, the alternator. And he put a carbon mic between the power supply. Oh, and there the you go, modulated it. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. There you go. All right, solve that technical problem. Three cheers for Fessenden <laughs> and his microphone. All right, now it's time for bench talk, Pete. Uh, yes. What, what have you been up to? I know you've been. I know simple sievers have been popping up all over the world, and you, my friend, are responsible for it. Tell us about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I continue to work on the project, and uh, it's ha- it's hard to keep up. <laughs> I mean, so some of these being built are are very elegant. Uh, we have uh, a few that you know, have gone beyond what well, the way I built, they built circuit boards. And, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to see Joe in, in, in Freiburg, uh, Germany. Uh, he's taken this thing all the way, he built his own filter. And, and this is the first time he ever built a filter. And, and if you saw the, uh, the posting on the, on the blog, he, he ended up with a pretty good filter and he didn't use dishel. <laughs> he didn't use anything else. He used the method I suggested that you use, and uh, it's nice to see. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a brilliant brilliant young yeah, guy. He's yeah, an, he's he's a for real scientist. Yeah, and and doesn't even have his call sign yet. And yeah, he's, he's building working this on receiver. It. I mean, it's really I think it's really really great. And I've I've enjoyed. I started talking to him about DC receivers, but go on about the yeah. receiver. No, I'm just saying that uh, we're moving right along. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to be. Uh, <clears throat> I did something yesterday about how to switch one of the amplifier circuits, uh, use it both on receive and transmit, and the uh, tack I was taking was uh, diode switching. And I've since found that uh, probably that's not going to work too well because we got some leakage uh, that uh, is probably going to cause some interference, so we're going to do some relay switching. But I've come up with a method. I've installed a, um, a new product detector in there, and there's a couple videos uh, on the blog. And I got to tell you, uh, I got asked an interesting question <clears throat> on, on the blog, and I answered it. Uh, why did I use the J310s instead of the TIA? I mean, I saw, I saw your post there with the chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying, well, and I think this is an important point. We have an opportunity to experiment. I know what a TIA will do, and now I'm experimenting with something else. <laughs> and so. You know, we that's allowed. Get, yeah, you shouldn't get so rooted to say, "Oh, I could only build it with this." Well, here's some, here's an alternative, and I think I tried to explain some of the reasons of. Well, first of, they're readily available. It's something different, and it was a common template 
In other words, uh, the same basic circuit used for the RF amplifier, IF amplifiers, product detector, and, and it reduces the number of parts. And, uh, you know, you can simulate it in spice. I think that's the other thing, too, is that I'm strongly advocating is uh, build the circuit in spice and then tweak it. Say, okay, now I want to use it at RF amplifier. I want to use the IF amplifier or product detector. You have that capability. And I think that that's, you, you know, that's a thing that's keep in mind. Sure. Try it with a TIA, but I tried something different, and I'm pretty satisfied with the results. I think the proof is in the pudding. Listen to the videos. You know, you can you can see how well it's working. Great, great stuff. You know, and I think uh, to a certain extent, this project and the one that I'm going to talk about was sort of stimulated by our friend Bob N7SUR. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who said? Who said? Look, why don't you guys work on on some receivers? And you know, and we you and I we talked about it a little bit at first. He, I think he was suggesting that we sort of combine forces and do do one together but then i think you and i have different approaches in a lot of different ways so it, it quickly just went the other way went two ways which is and i said fine that's yeah. great you know i said you know um uh i mean somebody actually put on one of my blog posts hey uh, how come pete's doing it differently are you trying to compete with pete and i said no i mean I, I, first of all i couldn't i would lose uh but second you know to each his own and do your own thing and so yours is super head and you've got some digital stuff in there, right? Right. And and some chips, right? Yes. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, what I what I you got anything else on the simple seaver before we switch over to the no, new simple uh, stuff? No, we're, we're 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 moving to the point we're going to be having a transceiver here pretty soon. Wow. Transceiver coming. All right. I have uh, my again. My effort was also stimulated by Bob N7SUR's suggestion, and. I started thinking, I'm also thinking when I do this, of my, my nephew, John Henry, who has taken an interest in, in radio. And I told him that I was going to work up a, a receiver better for him. He has a little sawdust um, a regen receiver based on a kit that Steve Silverman sent me a long time ago. But um, anyway, this one is, uh, this, this new receiver, the DC receiver that I'm working on, is a bit more advanced. And I... I sat down and I was noodling, Pete, noodling like you recommended. And I started thinking, what are some of the things that I want, what, that I would want in a DC receiver for a fellow like John Henry? First, real simplicity, obviously. And I thought part of that is monoband. And these days, 40 meters is the way to go. So no band switching or anything like Just build it for 40. Um, probably more phone than CW, but John Henry's interested in CW, so I'm going to work out a way that he can move it down to the CW band. Direct conversion's got its problems, but it's also got its advantages in terms of simplicity. There's no filter to mess with, no mixers really, other than the detector. And then I also started thinking, I don't, you know, the standard solution for a DC receiver is to come up with a detector circuit and then slap an LM387 or 741 op amp as the audio amplifier, and you're done. But I said, wait a second, I wanna, I wanna make keep this simple so a newcomer can actually see the signal flow and play a role in each part of it. So I went with a complementary pair AF amplifier with two N3906 and two N3904s. The other thing I, I said, look, I don't, you know, you wanna keep it simple. And in terms of audio output, the, uh, the transducer that I selected was the, uh, the earbuds, because the world is awash, afloat, 
in earbuds. Everybody's got six or seven pairs of mostly dead broken. Or mostly dead, broken. Yeah, but I mean, but you can also you can buy them and you can buy them at CVS. You can buy them at uh, everywhere, right? That's where I get mine. There you go. You buy them, you get another one. They're, they're everywhere. So that's a yeah. real good feature. And if you can come up with an audio amplifier, that you can just plug one in. Also, the advantages of doing it that way is that if you can avoid the use of AF transformers, you can cut down on the possibility of motor bullying and oscillation in the audio stages. So that's one thing I went for. Now, in terms of um, VFO, VXO stability, I wanted to avoid um, unstable VFOs, but I didn't want to go as far as using your beloved SI5351 because I wanted to keep it real, real simple. All right. So I went with a VXO and a variable crystal oscillator, but using a ceramic resonator because you can wiggle them further. And I went and I searched around and I found uh, a ceramic resonators available at 7.37 megahertz, right? I figured I'd be able to pull it down, and I did. I used a little Baractor diode and, um, and a pot, a 10K pot, and I just, I said, let me build it and see where it ends up, right? So I threw in some standard value values for a Colpitts uh, kind of feedback network. I put in the, the ceramic resonator. I put in a Baractor with a pot on it, and Perfect. I mean, without messing with it, without trying to tune it, without any kind of variable caps or variable inductors in there, it ended up smack in the middle of the 40 meter sideband foam band, right? Covers about, I think, I think right now I have it covered about 70 kcs of the band, which is not the whole thing. But if you just want to give somebody the experience of building a receiver and using it to be able to listen to guys, this is it. It's rock stable. It, it really stabilizes. It's easy to get going, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. I, I built it kind of mischievously into the box from an iPhone 6. We have a couple of new iPhones around here. So I got a couple of the, you know, Jobs was all about the packaging of the phone, but the packaging that the phone comes in was pretty cool, too. They, they actually spent a lot of time in making the box look attractive, and it, it came out as pretty sturdy, and I thought, man, that's about the right size for a simple little DC receiver. So I built the first one. The prototype is in, you can probably see it over there on the bench. It's built into one of these iPhone boxes. I don't know if I would do it again. The car, it's cardboard. It's like a hard cardboard. It's laminated, so it's, it's sturdy, but it's still cardboard. And, I mean, I built it in there, but I thought, as I was doing it, I was thinking, this is kind of goofy. So I'm probably going to go to a, a more standard cabinet for the, for the subsequent models. But right now it's pretty cool, and I'm going to send the prototype off to John Henry, let him fool around with it. Uh, and and listen to it to it a bit, but it's been a great project, and it's I said it, it's it's one of these international brotherhood of electronic wizards projects because I sat back at one point and thought, wow, look at this project. Uh, the original some of the original ideas came from Miguel down there in Brazil, PY two OHH. He's a he's a real resource. Um, there were ideas that came from Farhan. There were other ideas that came from the U UK. There was a French article in Sprat. The guy came up with a really good circuit for the detector. Threw that in there. I was all all along. I was collaborating with Joe over there in Freiburg, Germany. So this is like the real. And then when I was testing the thing, I had the real IBEW moment. One of the first mornings, I put it on on 40. I'm tuning around, 
And it was one of you talk about recognizing a voice. I recognized a rooster. Yeah. Did you see this? Yeah. I'm yeah. tuning around and all of a sudden I hear. And I said, listen, I've heard that rooster before. And it was uh, the rooster of Helio, Papa Victor two Alpha, Papa Victor eight Alpha Lima down there in Boa Vista, Brazil, up in the northern part of Brazil. And in the morning he's on and he's got the windows open and the roosters are doing their thing and I could hear it. So I said, man, that's the radio gods have spoken. They've allowed this little device that I built. Oh, the other thing works. Power supply, a nine volt square battery. This way you don't have to, you don't have people trying to run it off some horrible wall wart, right? Noise. With With noise, noise, right? No, nine volts. They're everywhere. Go down to CBS when you buy the earbuds, buy yourself a couple of nine volt wall warts. Here's interesting kind of design stuff. And this this gets us into the next topic, which is troubleshooting, which we got to get to because we're rambling on here, BP. But um, I, you know, you I got I got it so I had enough gain out of this thing that I actually needed a gain control because the, it was getting loud in the earbuds. So the question: Do you put you got to put a pot in there to to reduce the gain? The standard solution is put the pot at the at the kind of the input port for the AF amplifier, right? But there's a problem with that. When you do it that way, you create another opportunity for oscillation because you got the wires running from this very sensitive point all the way up. So I did I did something that I've seen in a lot of the Sprat articles. I did completely away with the AF gain pot, and I put the pot at the antenna port, right? Which helps, too, because if you've got a really loud signal, you want to knock it down for the detector, too. So the, the operator doesn't really notice the difference, but when you turn it down... The volume goes down, but what you're actually doing is you're decreasing the amount of RF going into the entire receiver. So that worked out pretty well. Joe and I kind of struggled with um, the first detector we tried, just used uh, MPF 102. And we had some trouble because we were getting really bad AM detection from shortwave stations on 41 meters. But I went with the um, the uh, the kind of the two-diode, singly balanced uh, mixer and that that knocked it down and got completely rid of the the AM breakthrough. So it was ah it was a great satisfying project. I have this time I've, I've documented it. I've got the schematic and I'll put it up on the on the on the on the blog real soon. You got to adjust your you bumped your mic up. So you got to bring it down a bit. There you go. Anyway, so that's it. And thanks to Bob N seven S U R and stand by and we and I, I think like your project this will be this would be a good project for the winter. So those of you who have experienced the joy of oscillation through the Michigan Mighty Might, now it's time to experience the joy of receiver building. Build a receiver. Either the simple receiver that Pete's got going, or perhaps if you're a little bit less ambitious or more of a newcomer, the DC receiver that I've been working on, we'll, we'll get you going with it. And, uh, and it's, 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 a real, it's a real hoot when you get one going. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. But speaking of homebrew receivers, the other thing that Bob suggested, N7SUR, who is the intellectual inspiration behind all this today, he wanted us to talk about how to troubleshoot a homebrew receiver. Yep. So I guess we, this, this is to make it, this is to do something useful here other than us rambling on. <laughs> yeah, right. This is the, the educational value of the show. Right. Now begins the educational portion of our program. So I, I don't know, I, I sat down, I looked, at, Bob gave us a list. And then I sat down and sort of came up with my own list. But you, Pete, are the source of, of tribal knowledge here. And so I defer to you. How, what would you say about, if you're going to, well, first of all, let everybody know that we're talking about how to troubleshoot a new homebrew receiver. 
We're not talking about how to figure out why your, you know, Kilobuck, Yesu, Icom, Kenwood thing is not inhaling. But this is like, okay, you've built a receiver, say, out of a schematic or even perhaps out of a kit. And it's just sitting there looking at you. What do you do? Well, uh, first of, I guess um, we need to back up just a little bit because I gave us a little, you know, about two seconds worth of thought before we go. We we started this morning, and, and I, I think it's important that you assemble some tools, uh, and by tools I mean uh, some test equipment. I mean you 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 can look at it all day long, but if you have no way to test it, know that there's a problem somewhere, you're you just can't proceed. Yeah, so, I think, so, I think you, gotta so, have, you gotta have something. So at least a voltmeter. Yeah, like yeah. You, but one thing I would say is, especially if you're dealing with simple receivers, don't let the lack of sophisticated tools prevent you from. Oh, oh no, no, in. no, no. I know that's not what you mean, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing some guys out there thinking, "Put, I don't have a spectrum analyzer. Well, I'm out." Well, well, let me just share a, a good point about this, okay? And it's very revealing. Um, I have an AADE LC meter, okay? And I wanted to measure a capacitor, and it wasn't measuring. And uh, so I uh, I checked the battery. The battery was good. And I said, oh, my God, just don't tell me this thing has died, <laughs> you know, because the company's no longer in business. How, how, how do you do it? I opened it up. I didn't see anything wrong. It would zero, but it wouldn't measure. And uh, so I said, okay, if I had to replace this, what, what could I get? I went went to the solder smoke blog, went on, clicked on Amazon, and <laughs> looked up. Thank you, LC, thank you, Pete. LC you. meters, you can get them for twenty five bucks. Yeah. I mean, I paid a hundred bucks for that thing. You did too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You, you can get a, you, and there's some down in fifteen dollar range. So I mean, yeah. LC meter, <laughs> that's probably a, an investment that you should make in addition yeah. to a voltmeter, and you can get one for fifteen bucks. And and I looked at the ratings, like you see, some have five stars and it's a hundred people have bought this. So, yep. so you got to know that's a good one. So, I mean, you, you got to start off by knowing. Sorry, get, gather some tools. Yeah. Gather some. I'm at a, I'm at a bit of an advantage here because I had more than the two minutes. Pete, we, this, Pete and I weren't sure we were going to go with the show today, but uh, so I had a bit more time to think about it. Plus I was consulting with Bob. Bob sent us a list, but maybe I'll go back a little bit further and, and, and we'll get to the, to the tools in a second. But one of the things, that I thought when you're at that point where you turn the, the, the newly built receiver on, I find that sometimes you have to coax the signal out of a new oh, receiver. Oh, yeah. You, know, you can't, it's not, especially if it's a superhead, you turn it on, and most of the time it will just sit there and look at you. It doesn't make any noise. You think it's completely messed up. But what you really have to do is you have to start peeking and tweaking and adjusting and checking. And I found that, especially with super hats, that the first time you hear a little bit of a beep in there somewhere, whoop, you're on track, keep that, what's that, make that. You know, so you're, you're working at it through stages. So realize that if it doesn't make any sound at first, it may just need some, some peeking and tweaking. The other thing I would say, and this is based on some recent experience, but lots of experience over the years, I'm sure you had this, don't accept that that schematic out of QST or 73. It's correct. Or yeah. it's correct. There are a lot of errors in these things. And so you shouldn't just think, oh, well, I, I built it wrong. We recently discovered something that just blew my mind. When I was doing this DC receiver project here, and I was looking at, 
you know, various audio amplifier possibilities. I remember back to the Herring 85, which appeared in QST in 1976, July 1976. This was the famous project that I tried to build as a teenager but failed. Now, my problem was I didn't get the oscillator going, which is a different problem. But when I looked at the audio amplifier that they have for the uh, Herring 85, it's pretty amazing. They, they have, to bring the, the audio signal in from the detector, they do it through a 100 microfarad electrolytic cap. Okay, fine. The 100 microfarad electrolytic cap will pass AF and move it right into the, into the audio amplifier. But then they have also, from the base of the input transistor, another 100 microfarad cap to ground. If you look at, yeah, it's like it's like four or five Short. ohms to ground. So you, you're taking all most of the AF that you've detected and changed from radio frequency to audio frequency, and you're dumping it to ground. It's like a short, and, and you know it will work because a little will get through. There's a little bit of resistance in there, but it's going to be deaf as a doornail. And, you know, it's been in there since 76. I don't see any indication that anybody ever spotted it until I did three weeks ago. I wrote to a bunch of guys who were involved. I haven't heard back from, from, from any of them, really. But a lot, a lot of people I consulted said, yeah, that's got to be an error. And that could be a real showstopper, especially for a new builder. You, you build it, you check everything. I did it just the way I was supposed to. But we have, I think, a remedy for this problem in this day and age. The remedy comes via the internet. You know, if you're building a project these days, if it's something like something that Farhan has come up with or Hans has come up with or anybody kind of well-known in the community has come up with, there's likely to be dozens of people around the world who are building it at the same time you are or have recently built it. And you can go to them and say, hey, did you build it exactly the way it is in the schematic? And if you did, did you get it to work? And if, if they, a lot of them come back and say, yeah, I built it just as it was in the schematic and mine works fine, then you got to start thinking it's probably not a problem in the schematic. But it gives you a way to kind of gut check whether there's a problem in the schematic or not. So, uh, I mean, I think these days you're less likely to fall into that. Now I'm going to mention another tool that, that you like, and I know you like this one. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're working on a circuit and it may be something that you came up with or you borrowed a circuit from somebody else and you put it in there and you, you don't really have the opportunity to do that kind of internet check that I just described because it's, it's, it's a bit different from anybody else the way everybody else is doing it. And for me, especially not being a professional engineer, sometimes I think it looks like it should work, but I'm not sure. But now there's a way to check to see if it theoretically should work. And that's provided by our good friend, LT Spice. Uh, have you done this? Have you said, hey, listen, I, yep. I think it should work, but let me build it in yeah. the simulator and see what the simulator says it should do. How much gain should this amplifier should produce? Even mixers. It's really cool. Sometimes if you build a mixer in LT Spice and then you put the RF signal and the yellow signal into the mixer in LT Spice, sure enough, at the output, you see audio. It also gives you kind of a ballpark measure of how much you should be getting out of the amplifier or the mixer based on how much you're putting in. It's a tremendously useful oh, yeah. tool to get yourself some LT Spice. Third point I have on my list, and I'm looking for your, your guidance and your thoughts on this here, Pete. Um, 
I when I when I got started doing receivers and when I was building the Herring 8.5 back when I was a teenager, I made the mistake of not looking at it in terms of stages. A lot of times a new home builder, home brewer will see that schematic and it's just a whole bunch of squiggly lines and parts. And he or she might not have the ability to sit there and say, hey, wait a second. This is actually four or five distinct stages, each with a different role in the process. There's an RF amplifier, there's a mixer, there's an audio amplifier, there's probably some selectivity at the front end. And if you break it up that way, it, it makes it a lot easier to kind of understand. And, and then you can start the troubleshooting process. Do you, what do you think about the importance of seeing it that oh, way? Yeah, and, and I was going to comment that that's why I build things in modules. That's right. So, so wow. get 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 the audio amplifier working. Then you can cross that off your list. Okay. Then right. get the detector working. Cross that off your list, and and so it's it's being able to visualize. And I think that's the important part is to study the schematic, see what what's doing what, and then you can isolate the problem. If you're if you put your finger on the audio amplifier and getting audio out, it's not the audio amplifier. You know. There you so, go. That, so, well, that's a, that's a really important technique. But it, take the pencil and sort of block yeah, off. Okay, yeah. this is that one. This is that one. This is that one. Yeah. A lot of time, the the articles in the magazines don't do that well enough because they're assuming that these things are being read by double E's who will spot the different stages. But for newcomers, it's hard. Now, you just mentioned a technique. And that was the next thing on my list. This is a good example of how you could do some really good troubleshooting without just using your finger <laughs> yeah. or a little screwdriver. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And people don't realize this, but you're right. When you, when you build that audio frequency amplifier, and I know this is what you like to build first, you build it, you hook it up to the speaker or to your earbuds or whatever. You don't have it connected to anything else. Maybe the only thing you built, it's just sitting there. How do you know if it's working? You don't have, a, you don't have a, a, an oscilloscope to look at the output. You don't even have a signal generator to put something to the input. And you might think there's nothing I can do. Uh-uh, that finger. You touch the finger, your finger, onto the input of a sensitive audio frequency amplifier, you should start hearing buzz coming out of the speaker. Because what's happening is it's picking up the 60 hertz energy that's floating all around your shack because of the power system of the house. The if you if it's doing that it's working all right they well it, it, it's at, at some level it's working it might not be there might be other problems still in there but at least you know that an audio signal is going to make it through yeah. yeah yeah so i think that's that's a that's a real good one now with the audio amplifier you might have another problem when you when you power it up probably not when it's sitting there all by itself but you could get another sound out of this thing feedback <laughs> feedback <laughs> <laughs> you could hear it squealing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, don't think that you've just detected, you know, a supernova or something out there. No, no. Uh, or no. Um, and the thing is oscillating. And, and it, this is very common. You also might hear this. <laughs> it sounds like I'm like. <laughs> motorboating. All right. Yeah. You have just met the Barkhausen criteria. Pete loves the Barkhausen criteria. And he's right. Because. What you've done is you somehow come up with a path from the gazauta to the gazinta, right? From the output to the input, right? And the thing has become An like, the, like the dog chasing his tail. I mean, yeah. that's the best way to think of it, right? It's the, the input is looking for something to put in, and if it can link up to something going out, as soon as a little bit of noise in there, it just starts, goes around you. Now you've got an oscillator. So you got to break the, the Barkhausen criteria. you got to get the output away from the input. 
sometimes the output's getting back to the input through the power supply, right? Because you've got, you know, you might have several stages in there and you've got all these capacitors there that are supposed to make sure that on the DC line, there's nothing but DC. But if you don't have enough good coupling capacitors in there and some of that AF frequency from the output is making its way into the input transistor, off you go. So you got to break the Barkhausen criteria. So that's one of the things that might go wrong. All right, suppose you got a super hat now, and you've got the, uh, you know the AF amplifier is working. You know you got a good antenna. You turn the thing on, and nothing, no signals. I think at this point, you got to check the oscillators, right? you got to make sure that your oscillators are doing this thing. This is what did me in when I was building the Herring A5 way back in 1976. You know, I didn't realize it, but my oscillator wasn't oscillating. It was just sitting there. And I didn't have a scope. I didn't have any test gear. So I thought that I had no way of testing to see if the oscillator was working. But I was wrong. Yeah. I had that test gear right in front of me, and I didn't realize it. It just never clicked. I was so inexperienced. What could I have done? Get a radio. That's it. Get a radio. Listen for it. Harmonic. Yeah. Anything. This is something... That, that new guys really don't get. They don't understand that, okay, I've built this little Herring 8.5 direct conversion receiver for 40 meters. Really the heart of it, almost like the beating heart of it, is an oscillator running on 40 meters, right? So if I'm going to be listening to a signal coming in at 7.2 megahertz, I'm going to turn that oscillator to 7.201. They're going to mix. The difference is 1 kilohertz, and that's the beep, 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 beep that you hear, okay? So the other thing people don't realize is they don't know that when you turn this, if you have a, a DC receiver with a little oscillator, even if it's just one 2N2222 two transistor there, you turn that baby on. If you have a shortwave receiver anywhere in the house, you're going to hear it. It's going to be loud, right? So what I could have done is I could have just reached across my table there as a teenager turned on my Lafayette HA600A general coverage receiver. With jeweled movement. With jeweled movement. You remember. <laughs> tuned across. And, and if I had heard a signal, even though there's no connection, there's no physical connection. You don't have to take the antenna and hook it up to the thing. No, it's, it's loud enough. If I had heard that 7.2 megahertz oscillator there, I would have said, hey, it's oscillating. But... If I heard nothing as I tuned across there, nothing, you got a problem. You could also, you know, another simple thing, it seems obvious, but you got to mention it. If you do hear something around 7.2, you got to make sure that it is, in fact, your oscillator and not radio Beijing, right? What you do at that point, you hear it, turn it off. Yeah. Turn, pull, pull the battery off your, your new device, and if suddenly the signal disappears, well, there you go. It's, that's you. You're oscillating. You have the joy of oscillation. So uh, I think that's that's uh, that's another good example of use you what might you have. Use, use what, what you have. have. You, you've got yeah. a lot, all right? All right, now suppose, let me ask you another question. You've got the, okay, so you know the oscillators go, and you know the audio amplifiers work in. Let's suppose we're just, let's stay in the direct conversion receiver mode just to keep it simple for the minute. And you're still not getting anything. You know the band is opening because on your uh, commercial rig, you can hear all kinds of stuff happening there. But you're not hearing anything. The thing is, it's still dead as a doornail. And you still you still have sort of a similar level of kind of a, a gear. 
what I do at that point is I start poking around. And I don't know if you had this experience, but I found that it, you got a receiver, right? If it's set up right and you take a little screwdriver and you just touch it onto the antenna input line, right? You'll hear it. You got to hear something, right? Because that, this is a big event. This is a very sensitive device that's, that's capable of picking up electrical disturbances from the other side of the planet, even from the other side of the galaxy in terms of noise, right? So you touching it with a screwdriver is a huge event. If you take that little screwdriver and touch it onto that antenna wire where the antenna's coming in and you hear nothing, whoa, then you know detector. that somehow it's in the detector. The problem, it's not the audio amplifier, it's not the, the oscillator, but something is preventing those faint signals from coming in and making it to your detector. Maybe the detector's bad, maybe your input filter is bad something you're isolating the problem you're you're narrowing it down to which stage is is messed up but that's another good example you might think oh man i don't have a signal generator i don't have the hp signal generator that that bill has that steve silverman said sent them so i can't do this no grab a screwdriver touch it you're using the screwdriver as a very simple signal generator now, now we get into a, a problem, and uh, now we're gonna oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, before we uh, move on, I wanted to make a strong input here, and uh, I had a discussion with Joe about this. Is when you go to do an analysis of the problem, don't change everything at once. Oh, change <laughs> one thing at a time. That time. That's right. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, the yeah, first yeah. thing you do is you ripped out the detector. And it still doesn't work. And and the problem may have been something simple as a, a short somewhere in the yeah, input. So yeah. so you want to go through a measured process of looking one thing at a time, only change one thing at a time, because you'll never know where you're at. Yeah. And if you make a change and it doesn't fix the problem, yeah. go back to where you were. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then but, but don't just leave it there and say, well, change something else yeah, and something else. Because yeah, you could yeah. have cascading. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important. Let's move now a little bit into the area of the super hat. Now this is a little bit, wow, it's significantly more complicated. I, I think building a super hat is more difficult, but some of the basic stuff, the audio frequency stuff that we just mentioned is the same, right? This time, however, you're gonna have at least two oscillators running. You're gonna have the BFO oscillator that's gonna change your IF signal into audio. At the same time, you can have another oscillator running, which is your local oscillator for the mixer, assuming that we have a single conversion superhead. But let's just keep it at single conversion for this point. You can do the same checks. Check the audio amplifier. Hit your finger on there. Okay, buzz, buzz, buzz. You got it. Fire up your general coverage receiver. Tune around. Up, oh, I can hear the BFO. Yep, I can tune around. Tune a little bit further up. I can hear the local oscillator. It's going to be on a different frequency. And then you do the same thing. Put a little thing on the... Uh, you know, on the on the the input of the antenna, but you still might not hear something. But because it's a super head, there's a an added level of complexity around that filter, and this gets into a, kind of a, a word that's fraught with a lot of potential for trouble, and that's called alignment. So even if we're dealing with a single conversion super head, something simple like the receiver in a bit X, which is simple, it's single conversion. Um, I think. One of the pitfalls for a lot of new builders is they don't really approach it with a real deep understanding of 
where that filter pass band is. They might think, oh, I got a 12 megahertz IF. Well, roughly, but you maybe, need to maybe, know. Maybe, <laughs> Yeah, you, you, when you measure it, you might find out that the pass band is from 12.997 from 11.997 to 12. You need to know because it's, 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 if it's a sideband rig, it's going to be looking for about you know, 2.5 or 3 kcs, and that's it. So you need to kind of figure that out. You need to know where that pass band is. And, and then here's the real tricky point. You need to put your BFO at the right spot in relation to the pass band. All right. So think about it. It's kind of hard to describe verbally, but if you got a lower sideband signal coming in there, and you got that pass band between 11.997 and 12, you got to think. Well, if this was an AM signal, the the carrier would be up there near 12, right? So you got to check that VFO and make sure you've placed it right or else you're never going to be able to detect adequately the Donald Duck noises coming out of the receiver. Now here's where sideband inversion comes in because you might think, oh, I got a, a 40 meter signal that's lower sideband. So by the time it gets to my oscillator, I just need to make sure that I've got the BFO at the top end of the passband. But, but, if you've done something to the signal earlier on that has resulted in sideband inversion, you might actually have to do the opposite. If you've now converted that incoming lower sideband signal in your first mixture and you've converted it into an upper sideband signal, you need to put the BFO down at the bottom end of right. the passband. But the way you'd be able to detect, no pun intended, this kind of problem would be you can hear sideband signals in there, but you can't get them to sound like the human voice. They all sound like Donald Duck. And no matter how you tune it, you really can't get it to, to receive them right. Then you got to, this is where you need some noodling. You got to pull out a pad and paper and take a look. Okay, is there sideband inversion? And the sideband inversion rule, I love this rule. It's real simple. Have you taken the incoming signal with the modulation? and subtracted it from the oscillator signal. If you've done that, sideband inversion. If not, if you've added, if you've taken another, different. If you subtracted that, that signal with the modulation from the VFO signal, sideband inversion. So ask yourself, okay, it's coming in as a lower sideband signal. In the mixer, I did sideband inversion, so now I have an upper sideband signal. Where is my passband in the filter? Where should I place the VFO? If you do all that stuff, then you're going to be in good shape and your 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 single conversion superhead receiver will be aligned. Did I get that right, Maestro? Absolutely. And I, I just wanted to uh, comment here to, to help a bit is if you're building a filter, a homebrew filter, it's really important that you characterize the filter. Do, yeah. the, do the measurements. All right. Once you've done that, take a good hard look at where the center frequency is of the passband and and interestingly enough we we had a discussion about this on the bit x40 where um farhan uses a 12 megahertz crystal uh, mm -hmm. for for the uh, filter but uma's sorting them <laughs> and actually you find out that the center frequency may be 11995 based on the, the crystal sort so the upper and lower sideband frequencies 
are going to be less than 12. So what you really need to do is look where that center frequency is after you characterize it and just notionally look one and a half kilohertz up and one and a half kilohertz down. That's the two frequencies you start with. Right. Yeah, I, or you could do it. It's a, I do sort of a variation of that. I, I characterize well, you, it and I take a look where the skirts are. Yeah, right? It's the same, yeah. same, same thing. But you, but whether you need whether you need to end up plus one point five or down yeah, one point yeah. five in your way of putting yeah, it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to visualize, but it's 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 really that, important. That's a starting point, and then then you'll know. But uh, I mean, yeah. you you described it adequately. It's just I had a discussion with Joe about this. Where, where, what frequencies did I put in there? Because what he was doing is using an AD9850, not an SI5351. So he's using the AD9850, and he said, what crystal frequencies do I use? And I said, look at the center frequency, and then go one and a half, that's starting point, one and a half up or down, and that'll tell you where to get started. Excellent. All right, now here's, here's another point. When a guy fin finished building his receiver, he'll often say, this question becomes, I don't have enough gain. I can't, I need more gain. I need more amplification, right? But how do you know if you do or not? I mean, if you want to make it louder in the loudspeaker, you could add more audio gain, right? Could, instead of plugging in the earbuds, you could plug in a little computer speaker with an amplifier. That's just going to make everything louder, including the noise. And that's the key point. When you're looking at like the, the RF amplifier, the mixer, the IF amplifiers, to determine whether you've got enough gain there. I, I learned this from an article from Lou McCoy a while back. And he said what you should do, a real simple test, and we're talking about simple receivers here and, and kind of newcomer builders. You know, put on your headphones, turn on the receiver, and listen to it without the antenna connected, right? You'll hear some noise. This is noise being generated internally in the receiver. This is just electron, random electron noise. I mean, noise is generated by just a resistor sitting there because the electrons in there are moving around. And at certain points, there's more electrons on one wire there than there are on the other. This is just random, the noise of the, of the universe. Of Ther physics. Thermal noise. Thermal noise, right? Yeah. There you go. Uh, now, okay, so now you're listening to the noise. That's the noise generated by your receiver. Take the antenna and hook it up to the connector. When you hook it up, do you hear an increase in the noise level? If you do, that's you're listening to the band noise. So you've made a receiver that's sufficiently sensitive to pick up the noise floor that's out there. And if, if you're at that point, stop, because you've built a sufficiently sensitive receiver. Now, I know there's much more advanced guys can get into a whole bunch, much more stuff. And you can start talking about bandwidth <clears throat> and narrowing it down. But for your purposes as a, as a kind of a new builder, I think at that point you stop thinking, I got to tack some more RF amplifiers on the front end of this thing. Because if you do that, you're just going to be, yeah, you, you might make the signal louder, but you're also going to make the noise louder. And you're going to add more noise internally because the, that amplifier is going to add <clears throat> some more noise. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Uh, anything to add on that one? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the the one point that uh, I would always make is matching between sections, because this will this will improve yeah. the overall receiver performance. It, and I try to match everything to 50 ohms. Matter of fact, we did that in a simple receiver. Every one of the blocks is 50 ohms. If you don't do not have those matched, guess what? 
you're not going to have the maximum performance out of the circuits and it's going to sound a little deaf. So spend a little time (laughs) making sure you're matching everything to 50 ohms all throughout the circuit. So that's one thing you can do as well. And like in the simple Seaver, and this was part of the response about the T is, uh, all of my circuits are adjustable. In other words, I can adjust the gain of any of the additional, any individual amplifiers. So I can adjust the gain of the RF amplifiers, the IF amplifiers. And once you get to the point running the test that you just suggested, you can then peak those gains so that you get the, you optimize the gain across the whole topology. The whole topology is the gain you want to optimize and you have a little individual adjustment. So excellent. And you just used a phrase that leads us to the final point that I have on my list, and that's peaking. Now, this is, I think, another area where new builders get into difficulty, and it's not really their fault. So usually at the front end of a receiver, and when we say the front end, we mean where the antenna connects to the receiver. That's the front end. Close to the front end, there will be tuned circuits. And that the, 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 the job of the, these circuits is to keep away all the extraneous radio signals that you're not interested in. <laughs> the local ABC News broadcast, the cops. The, the religious station down the, the street. The legislation down the street. <laughs> yeah. radio, radio Havana, Cuba, all that stuff. You don't want that. You want just the band, the band of frequencies that you're interested in, say the 40-meter band. You, you just want it so that it's broad enough to bring in the 40-meter band, but nothing else. So you want – it's not going to be like your crystal filter that's going to be just the 3 KCs. It's going to want to pull in the 300 KCs of the 40-meter band. So it's a broad filter, but it should be steep enough so it knocks down all those signals that you don't want outside your band. This is real important. you got to make sure that it's <laughs> resonating at the desired frequency. Usually what you'll have is you'll have a couple of coil, one or two coils to ground, and then one or two trimmer caps to ground. And what they tell you is you build it, you put in the values that you're supposed to put in there, and then you're supposed to tweak those capacitors, usually small capacitors, for maximum signal strength. And you sit there, you say, okay, I'm almost done. And you you find a signal. Maybe you find a really strong signal, and you tweak one, you tweak the other, you go back, tweak, 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 and you think, I've got it. I'm done. My filter is resonant right where I want it to be, but maybe not. And the way I find out if I'm in the maybe not category is take a look at those capacitors. Where are they in the tuning range? If they are both fully meshed, in other words, you've peaked them at fully meshed, right? It's not really the resonant frequency. It's just as much capacitance as you could put in there, right? And you probably need some more, right? Because they should be peaking not at fully meshed, not at fully unmeshed, but somewhere between, right? And actually, when you're turning something around that goes 360 degrees, you should be able to peak it at two points. It's kind of hard to figure, but imagine a Yes. circular veins meshing, right? But if you're seeing it peak at only at one point and then you notice that it's fully meshed, what that's telling you is you need some more fixed capacitance in there to get it to truly resonate at the desired frequency. 
if you see it resonating or peaking at fully unmeshed, then you've got too much capacity in there and you've got to remove some of the fixed capacity. It's kind of tricky. It's kind of hard to describe, but don't be fooled sometimes because you might be thinking, I got it. It's, it's peaking. This is the most I can get out of it. Yeah, it's peaking, but it's not necessarily resonant. And there's a lot of variation in components and layout and everything else. And you might think, hey, they wanted four microhenries and, you know, 120 picofarads, and that's exactly what I put in there. But those, those components you put in there might be varying a lot. The layout might affect it. Yeah, you got to make sure that it's really resonant. Now, here's where good test gear really helps. The LC meter that you described can actually measure what those component values are for the inductors and the capacitors. A decent signal generator and a no-scope, put it in there. You could watch the signal go through, and you can say, wait a second, is this thing really resonant, or is it just that I've reached the end of the tuning range in one way or another with those capacitors? A lot of pitfalls out there for the new builder, Pete. Yeah, I, I just as you were describing that, I wanted to share what I do. I take my field tech signal generator, uh-huh. and I put it in the other room. And that's a really weak signal, <laughs> and that's what I use to peak it up. Is uh, if okay. I can if I can peak it. And the other thing I, I wanted to go back to my LC meter, and this is all about troubleshooting. I could not figure out why, and I I said, you know, this is such a nice device. I had a broken lead. It was uh, a broken lead inside the plastic cable because it would be erratic and and it wouldn't wasn't enough. So then what I did this was inside the inside the inside the ADE. Right? It was the external lead. So I pulled the oh, leads man. out. I put a cap right under and measured the value. So I said, the problem is the wire, not the box. Oh man. <laughs> So the little cable, you know, because it flexes all the time, and it came with real short cable. So the troubleshooting sometimes is not so obvious. That's, that was the point I was trying to make was, I know. where and, was and, I pulled the box you... apart? <laughs> it wasn't the box. It was the lead. Oh, man. And that's it. That's a problem, too. Sometimes sometimes you're finding your test gear is failing you, and then you got to start troubleshooting the test gear. Yeah. At that point, you got to kill some chickens. Yeah, yeah, you're right. you got to pray to Papa Legba because you are in – yeah, but it was nice to know you can buy an LC meter, a pretty good one, for less than 20 bucks. Go to Solder Smoke, click on Amazon, <laughs> put you. in there, and, and buy yeah, That's one. right. We, 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 we got so carried away, we forgot about Shameless Commerce shameless completely. Com- there you go. There you go, Shameless Commerce. You get one of those LC meters, it's worth its weight in gold. I mean, if you're going to invest in some money in some testing gear, get a, v, get a DVM and get a LC meter, because that'll Excellent. give you stuff that you can start working with. You know, we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything else you want to add on the, uh, we're almost an hour and a half. Were, well, anything this, you want to add on troubleshooting? Yeah, well, the thing is, this is part of the fun of the hobby. This is where knowledge building is. And, uh, and, and it's not only the tools that I was talking about, but you mentioned about getting the internet. Do some research. Keep some files. I mean, there's some, there's some really good tips out there and some some really good information that you need to be armed with. I mean, just don't, Start ripping things apart, changing everything at once, because you're going to be lost. Yeah, I know. And you know the great thing is because it's, it's it's a hobby. It's ham radio. Yeah. Don't don't be afraid to write to the guy who put the thing up there. When I when I was doing this, I wrote right to Miguel PY2OHH. Yeah. You know, and or write to to, to Clarhan or, or Hans or anybody you 
and and people will be helpful. You know, yeah. don't be demanding. Sometimes they can be people can be demanding. Oh yeah. How about designing this for me? No, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. <laughs> well, but most people are really good. But oh, yeah. if, you're, if you're reasonable, I remember as a as a young home brewer writing to Doug Demont, getting to get an get an answer back, and so that was very helpful and that kind of stuff. It's it's certainly available. It's part of the amateur uh, uh, fraternity, the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards. The guy and, I feel uh, bad for is Wes Hayward. <laughs> I mean, his inbox <laughs> every morning. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, 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 the price of fame yeah. and, 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 and competence. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and yeah, so there you go. All right. So there's still much more on this topic. We're going to continue this as a series over the next few. We still we didn't get through a lot of stuff on Bob's list, and he provided us a good list. We can talk about that next time. Uh, we're going to right. cover the Bidix. Transceiver, transceiver architecture next thing. Oh, we're going to do that. We're going to do how to troubleshoot a BitX module. Yeah. What happens if your BitX is not yeah. BitXing? Yeah. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about transmitters. Yes. And uh, and maybe we'll go through uh, some of the stuff that Bob N7SUR said had on his initial power procedure list. We'll do that too. But Pete, right now, we have to get to the solder smoke mailbag. Yes. Gong. All right. A few items on the list. Um, our friend Roger out there in California, sent me a big heat sink. Man, <laughs> right after I get into the QRP Hall of Fame, Roger sends me this big, you know, sort of 500-watt-looking heat sink. Sometimes, see, that's it, you know, the road to perdition. I mean, people, they put these temptations in front of you. It's not my fault. You're, you're on a diet, and it's a big piece of chocolate cake that's delivered to your front door. <laughs> there you go. Thanks a lot, Roger. Yeah. I'm, you're going to get me into the QRO Hall of Fame here in a while. I, I don't uh, get hung up on that, you know. Do what you yeah, want to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm worried, Peter. Remember what happened to you? I don't. I don't want to. I don't uh, care. I don't, don't want to be expelled. <laughs> I don't man. care. No, I'm not. You know, it's, it's, it's scary. All right. Hey, the second second email comes in. Uh, Steve Silverman sent me a, a radio care package for my nephew John Henry. Oh. He had a bunch of stuff that has accumulated. Steve is a big supporter, and uh, thanks very much for sending that along. I bet there's uh, stuff in there you can't find anywhere. I'll bet John Henry's cool going to be so he's going to be got, so lucky. But I don't want to blow his radio mind, so I've got to dole it out. You yeah, can't yeah. Get so much of this, yeah. you could overdose here. So I'm going yeah. to send it to him in drips and drabs. We mentioned Joe in Freiburg uh, building DC receivers. I've been to Freiburg. A beautiful place. Um, you know, and, he's got uh, the super hit working. You know, he does. Yes. Excellent. You know, he also came up with these boards for crystal testers. And I have them. And somebody asked me for one. I'm sorry, I didn't get back to you. Send me another email. We'll do that. Oh, speaking of which, um, I, I promised a couple guys that I'd send them some 3.579 rocks and boards. I've been busy lately. That's my excuse. I will, I will try to get them get them out so uh but but we haven't forgotten you and I'll, I'll i'll try to get those out one guy wanted a, a 3.579 megahertz rock so he could do the michigan mighty might and he wanted one with real solder smoke mojo so i found that we have a couple left well you need uh, to you need to visit the the junk drop-off point like our friend ben did he's at the home depot and the the, the junk drop-off point is there and he spots this tv i remember that he was riding in the parking lot no he he jumped out of the car ripped the thing open and extracted the 3.579 yeah. that, that's there's a lot of mojo in that yeah, there yeah. you go way to go ben yeah i mean the the, the, the shoppers at home depot must have been confused <laughs> <laughs> finally pete you know there's a story that popped up 
has to be handled kind of delicately here. Uh, sensitivities about this. We don't normally discuss this kind of thing on solder smoking. I'm, now, a lot of guys thinking we're talking about something salacious. That's not the case at all. We're some, talking about something um, security sensitive, my friend. Uh, a longtime solder smoke friend, fan, Brent, KD0GLS, also a movie fan, was watching the James Bond movie, Casino Royale. <laughs> Watching it quite closely, I might say, and then he spotted a scene, <coughs> and in the scene, I can't, I don't have the whole scene, but it looks like one of the Bond girls is attempting to escape and going someplace, and the door that she's running to, to get out or to get away from or to get to Bond or something, has written across the door in very clear letters, SPRAT. Wow. The GQRP club. Their cover is blown, my friend. <laughs> wow. You know, um, shaken, not stirred. Yeah. Dobbs. Yes. George Dobbs. Yeah. There you go. Fishpool. Yeah. Tony Fishpool. Yeah. You know, some of them are, I've, I've been seen riding around in Aston Martins. <sighs> and, you know, Tony Fishpool sent me an email recently that he was in Rome. And I'll bet you anything, he was also down there in Monte Carlo. 382 land. Is that 382? Is that call sign? Casino Royale. Enough said. I just knew that these GQRP guys had to be much cooler than they seemed. I didn't realize that they were James Bond cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. We've covered a lot of territory here, Pete. Absolutely. Hey, you know. Uh, Paul Darlington shared something with me. He said there's a wonderful pub uh, that he drives by, and I'm not sure exactly where it's located, but it's the pub where uh, Eisenhower and his staff developed the plans for the Normandy invasion. They'd go in there and they'd drink and they'd be doing all the stuff on the table. And I said, man, I wished I lived over there, visit there. Can you imagine a conclave? Tony Fishpool, George Dobbs, uh, Paul Darling. And James Bond. And James Bond. You and me <laughs> sitting at a table talking, Tim Walford, talking about oh, talking about is, ham radio is, at the, is, at the is, place is where really they cool. did the Normandy invasion. I mean, amazing. Oh, there's a lot amazing. of cool pubs. Oh. I, I've, I've been to the Eagle in Cambridge. And the Eagle in Cambridge is where um, uh, Watson and Crick came up with Double Helix. Oh. Over beers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's also got the names of American bomber crews carved into the ceiling above the bar. Wow. Some of the uh, good stuff. There, yeah. Great stuff. A lot of stuff in the UK. All right. Pete Giuliano, thank you very much for this episode 200. Yay! 200. Uh, uh, hour and a half. I'm looking at the clock. It's an hour, That's <laughs> an it. hour and a we, half. We, wow. we went into double overtime. Yeah. But it was worth it. And I hope this is helpful. And I hope it will inspire people to get out there and build receivers yeah. as possible. And and I, I, I just like to add a little postscript to that. Like, don't be so confused that you say, I can only do it this way. Open up your mind uh, and just think about things that you could do and do it in a measured fashion. Get smart. Uh, there's lots of YouTube videos and some great information out there. Bill's uh, blog and my blog. Uh, take up the iron and start with a small project. The, the direct conversion receiver is a really great place to start. And once you get that working, then that's a springboard. Uh, you, you've got, you've, you've learned the skills there in a measured fashion that you can then proceed on to bigger projects like Superhead. Don't start with a Superhead. 
you're gonna, you're, no, you're gonna take you're it gonna one lose. step at a time. You're no, gonna lose. You're gonna lose. Yeah. It's gonna be, it's gonna be yeah. painful. The direct conversion, and I, I've got some of these 7.37 megahertz ceramic resonators, and I've got a few other of the key parts that you might need to put one of these together. So I'll put it to you this way: if you got to the point where you're gonna, you need to get the oscillator going, you got the rest of it built, you got the audio amplifier going, and everything else, let me know, and I'll, I'll send you one of these resonators. Um, and then we'll we'll get some get some receivers on the air this winter. This, this should be the winter of receiver building, Pete. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, thanks very much. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Yes, seven threes from the left coast, smoky left coast. Oh man, <laughs> we're on fire. We're on fire right out there. Oh man, we're on fire. Yeah. Holy cow! All right, seven three, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Pete. Bye bye. <laughs> Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!